There was time I got in trouble and she came in to get the food for the bad kids, you know, and I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, Christian. <laughs> and she waves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, hi, Marty. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm going to get your food. You know, what do you want for lunch? And I was like. Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Ministers. I'm your host, Kevin McDonald, joined always by Alec Robinson. Hey, how are you doing today? Doing well yourself? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, like we're, I'm, I'm not injured as, as we <laughs> speak. Cut me you know? off. <laughs> How'd you know where I was going? <laughs> I know you. Uh, and so I'm I'm surviving. I'm, I'm living. Uh, I no haven't more broken beard anything. <laughs> no, no, more, no more icicles. It's actually springtime. Yeah, we're so. in December. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good, to be, it's good to be here on the podcast uh, today. Yeah, we are very excited to introduce Mr. Marty Trujillo. Mr. Trujillo was baptized June of 1979 at Bear Valley Church of Christ. Marty entered into ministry right away at the age of 13. Mr. Trujillo took courses at Bear Valley Church of Christ, even though he says he won't get credit for him. And then Marty did mission work in the kitchens of Oklahoma. We are very excited you are here with us today. It's good to be here, guys. <laughs> it's another beautiful it day. So it's good exciting. to have you I appreciate here, yeah. the, w- the work you're doing, and God has filled us to the full and overflowing, and I'm excited. So yeah. awesome. God's blessed us. So. Let's hop right in. How were you brought up? Uh, well, you know, uh, well, I've heard some pretty powerful uh, testimonies on here. Um, I was uh, brought up, uh, born in Raton, New Mexico. And uh, my parents uh, divorced when I was very young. Um, and so we moved, my stepdad and my mom and two of my sisters moved to Denver. Um, and was raised my stepdad. And uh, my mom uh, was a Catholic. Um, but when she, she got divorced, I don't know, there's some, uh, some kind of things you go through in the Catholic uh, church to do that proper. And uh, there's a lot of... I, I don't know, just red tape about it. So uh, she she moved to Denver, and, and she just loved God. She loved uh, the Bible. They didn't get a lot of Bible, and um, she was looking. And so God started sending people to us. You know, they would knock on our doors. Uh, I think uh, people in the Baptist church would come, and we went a time or two. I think I went to some of their VBSs, and then they would uh, send me home and keep my sisters. So, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> they wouldn't invite me back. So, uh, but I kept going back. Um, and then uh, we, of course, studied with the, the Mormons. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists would come to the door. We lived on a corner street, uh, 499 Wolf Street there in the southwest side of Denver there. And then, of course, the Mormons would come, and we'd always ask them, why do you, why do you have elder on your badge? You're not an elder. Look at the Bible. <laughs> so uh, finally one day, and I, I love my Sundays were just like heaven to me as a kid playing football and uh, watching all-star wrestling with my stepdad and we'd go uh, all the kids gather and play football and then these people knocked these uh, teenagers knocked on the door one day and they said uh, we want to sign marty and the kids up for uh, the joy bus and i was looking at my mom and i'm thinking this is gonna mess up my sunday (laughs) 
Mom, I don't want to do that. I was, be quiet. Yeah. And uh, so they signed me up for the joy bus, and it was not the joy bus for me. <laughs> it was like going to prison bus. <laughs> I couldn't watch All-Star Wrestling with my stepdad and, and, and no more Sunday football. And uh, I, I got on that bus, and I was not very happy. And uh, But, you know, they started singing songs about Jesus. And as a little kid, hearing those songs, and it wasn't long I was joining in. And, and the best thing about the joy bus was when you got off, and you, if you were a good kid, you got an ice cream or a candy or something. So I, I, I was good. I was, I'm very food motivated, so they, they knew what to do. And uh, so I got to ride the joy bus, and before long, it became really a joy yeah, to yeah, ride my- the joy bus. I didn't care about the all-star wrestling and the football anymore. I wanted to be there. And mainly, my, my Bible class teachers taught me about Jesus. And, and I think we forget sometimes how powerful that is to little kids. Um, they're like sponges. And I wanted to hear everything about Jesus. My grandparents were very centered on God. Um, they were Catholics, but very strong, loving people, and they taught me a lot. And uh, that was just knowing about Jesus is what really got me, even though I was still pretty ornery and had to go out of class a, long, a lot of times. Um, so to wind up the story a little bit, um, I was very... They picked me up all the time, and I, and I loved it. I went to Circle C Bible Camp in 1971. I was like five or six years old. I think it was six years old at the time. I won Mr. Camper. And so I got to go to Bible Camp two years in a row up there, and I loved it. But I tell you what really got me, uh, coming from more of a, a rough background, uh, kind of living in a rough area of Denver, um, what I saw with Christians, I remember walking into Bear Valley the first few times, and Christians, and I think we forget this when you're a Christian for a while, you don't see this, but Christians are very kind and loving people overall. And the atmosphere at Bear Valley was just, I just felt God's love. And I don't know how to explain it, but as a little kid, you just can tell. And these people loved us, even though there were way too many of us for them to handle. <laughs> I mean, my mother-in-law had like, she'd have like eight kids on her on her bench trying to control them between her and my father-in-law. But I just knew that there was something different about Christians. I think we forget when you're in the church for a while, and I've been in the church since I was five, I always remember back and always look at the church in a different light because when you're in there for a while, sometimes you just see the negative and you forget about all the positive. And there is so much more positive in the church than there is negative in the church. I think sometimes we dwell too much on the negative. So that environment was so intense, so wonderful. And my mom started after a while, she got ashamed, said, you know, I need to start riding the bus with the kids. Um, but before that happened, we were at VBS in the summertime. And I'd been acting up as usual in Bible classes. And uh, Tina Berglund was my teacher. And she kind of got on to me pretty good during VBS. It was like we'd got, we were in about Tuesday and it went through the end of the week, I think. And, um, and this time, you know, they, 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 I got a lot of chastising because I was just so, so I, I like being outside running, and it's hard to stay in a room. So uh, she kind of got on to me, and she didn't know. The next day, my grandparents came from Trinidad, Colorado, and a lot of times they would take me for a month, sometimes two months, to, to stay with them over the summer. Well, that night, I, I, I was the last night, and the next day they came, and I went to Trinidad for a while, and, and Tina was really scared that she – Ran me off because I was so always coming. And, and uh, she said, well, we, we need to go to Gary. They were uh, preacher students at the time. 
you got to go check on Marty. I think I scared him. He's never going to come back, you know? <laughs> and so they knock on the door and, and they, they got to know my mom and, and encouraged her. And then that's kind of what was the turning point for her saying, I, I need to start going with the kids, quit sending them and go with them. And then Gary and Tina started a Bible study with her. And then it wasn't long that Brother C.D. Todd, um, he was, he's a giant at Bear Valley. He was one of the greatest evangelists to ever go to that congregation. And there were a lot of them there. Uh, but C.D. Todd was always, he was actually a salesman. He was a, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, I can't remember that company. Uh, they invite you over for dinner, you know, and then, and then they say, oh, we want you to be part of our company. <laughs> didn't get mad. He's like, I thought you just invited me over for dinner, but, but he didn't, C.D. Todd didn't do that. I can't remember <laughs> was the name like of the company. <laughs> no, it's not Cutco. It's the one before it. It's Amway. Amway. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's selling Amway, those you know, all the soap ones. and all that yeah. stuff, you know, and, um, but he was just dynamic. I mean, the guy was always there. Whenever he showed up, um, he, he took us through the Jewel Miller flip charts. You know, that's uh, he did that. And then Gary Tina, they studied with us. Um, but but Brother Todd was just like he was a, he was a legend. You know, he was in the Navy, short guy, and he was he was totally against God. But he had so much fire in him. Uh, he'd pull up in his nice big old car, you know, his Lincoln Continental, and all the kids in the block would just stop and run to him. And he would, he was in his 70s. He could walk on his hands. And he was so athletic, and he just drew us all together. And then at Bear Valley, he was the monitor and would check us before we go into the – because, you know, little bus kids want to go to the bathroom 100 times and play. <laughs> so <laughs> he would say, you're going to the bathroom, you're coming right back. But what I also remember about C.D. Todd was he was brother amen. You could hear him. Amen, you know, so I just, uh, the whole church, but he was dynamic, um, so he made a huge impact on us, and uh, on me, and my family, and then Gary and Tina Bergerland as well, and then, then a lot of the folks, you know, the uh, the people that drove the bus, Maynard Woolley, I don't know if you get, you, hopefully you get to interview him, but he was an elder at Bear Valley, but he was my bus driver, and he's so quiet, you know, Maynard was so quiet and patient, and then of course, Jakey Gibbs, everybody knows about Jakey and what he's done uh, with the bus ministry. But I, I just, I can't say enough. My father-in-law drove the bus. Um, I think some of the other folks you might have interviewed may have drove drove the, the Joy Bus. That bus ministry impacted, I know, at least in my family, and uh, over 100 people became Christians that I knew of through the bus ministry. Mm-hmm. And as I reached out to my, my classmates, a lot of them would say, "Oh, you mean that bus? I used to drive the joy, you know, ride the joy bus." And so, uh, it was uh, quite a ministry, you know. And and that's that's I'm a I'm a bus kid. You know, you heard the preacher kid and the elder kid and the deacon kid. I'm a BK, a bus kid. So <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I. Uh, so how old were you when you first got on that bus? I think I was five years old. Five years old. Yeah, about five years old, five or six years old. And my two sisters came with me, an older sister and a younger sister. And we rode the bus. Yeah, they picked us up when we were really small. I can't believe that my mom would let us <laughs> go somewhere, you know. That's, yeah. But that's back in the day, you know. Yeah. That's what they did. No yeah. booster seats. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, the bus. And we and they would cram those bus. Some of those bus have 80 kids on them. <laughs> 60 passenger got backs. away with it, yeah. You know, thinking nowadays. But, you know, that's back in the day when you could ride in the back of your, uh, a regular pickup truck and put about 15 kids back there and just hang on. <laughs> so, so the Lord is really good to save us through all that stuff, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh it's really good memories. Really, really good memories. I loved it. It's uh some of the best times of my life. But just the kindness of the church and the patience of those people and and uh all the things they did. I, I it's a debt I'll never be able to repay, you know, of of all the 
people that worked. Can you imagine doing a bus ministry, all the work that's involved? It's a lot. You know, it's hard enough just going, quote, to church on Sunday, and they would go, I think they ran the buses on Wednesdays and Sundays morning. I don't think they went Sunday night, but... Um, that's a that's a huge deal. Yeah, you know? and you sing and songs on the bus. I mean, it's a whole ordeal. My, oh, my my parents used to talk about it. My dad used to drive the Joy Bus. Did he really in uh, Woodward, Oklahoma? And seven three eight Woodward, yep. Oklahoma. And so they'd go and <laughs> I work for UPS in in, in in Oklahoma City too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they would do that. Go pick up kids from all over. Bring them in. I mean, it would. It's just a an amazing a, thing. Amazing, an amazing ministry time for in sure. the church. Yep. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get to re- replicate something like that, but that was a very, to me especially, was a very special deal. Um, and a lot of outreach, and we, well, you talk about getting the word out there. I mean, you brought the kids in and taught them. Uh, really incredible deal. So, yeah. yeah. That's now, what introduced it, uh, you, right? I introduced right. you to the church. What exactly. convicted you to put Christ on um, baptism? Uh, I didn't want to go to hell. You know, I, I, for from the time I was 12, I knew every night I'd go to bed and I'd say a prayer, Lord, don't let me die. Don't let me have a heart attack. Can you imagine a 12-year-old kid not wanting to have a heart attack? <laughs> but I knew in, in my grandparents' house, I was I was thinking about this. In their house, they, they had my grandpa was, he, he owned laundromats in Raton and Trinidad, and he always would rebuild these old houses. And he always built a rock wall in every house he had. Uh, it's just little kids just go and look at it. My wife does something similar. She puts all these little figurines on tables around the house. And we know the grandkids are going to go look at them. And that's what we did with my grandpa's rock walls. But why one of the rock walls in one of his houses, there was this picture of the judgment. And uh, you had all the angel side over here. And these are going to heaven over here. And I'm like a little kid. I'm two, three, four years old, look, always looking at that picture. And it was scary because the hell part had these mean demons and people in anguish. And I used to look at that as a little kid all the way through. They kept that in their house till I can't remember, until uh, I was 12, 14, 15 years old. And I remember thinking about that picture every night going to bed for a year. I knew I needed to become a Christian. And I finally had enough. I told my mom, I said, Mom, I need to be baptized, you know. So she went up to Brother C.D. Todd and told him, hey, go talk to Marty. He's in Bible class now. He said he wants to be baptized for sure, you know. He's been worried for a whole year that you know he would die and not be, be, be a Christian. So he went down and talked to me, and he said, okay, I'll come up. At the, and this is a church of like six, 700 people, you know, and I want all these front of all these people i can't get in front of people <laughs> and, and, and so he came up we used to sit on the second row and he sung really loud he walks all the way from the back invitation song marty i'm gonna come up there and i'll stand at the aisle and then you come out and we'll go baptize you and i'm like oh okay okay you know the the little demon picture scared me more than that so anyway <laughs> so somebody, well, you you did it out of fear yeah i did I, you know i, I knew i want to go to heaven not the other place so he comes down and he sings really loud, and I was sitting there, and I was hesitating a little bit, and then I saw Brother C.D. Todd, and he was determined, you're coming with me. And so I walk out, and then I didn't think he was big enough to baptize me because he was a short dude. And, and they asked, well, who do you want to baptize you? And I should have picked him because, but I, uh, Brother uh, Norman Gibson was the preacher at that time. I, I looked at him, I think he's big enough to baptize me. <laughs> so I picked him. But uh, that, that's when I was baptized, and it was, uh, I tell you that, from that moment on, I could go to bed every night, you know, and uh, know that uh, I was at peace. I was at peace with God. 
And that was uh, such a relief. And from then on, it just, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and uh, the brethren just picked me up and carried me places I never dreamed I could go. Hey, because you said you entered the ministry right away. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You know, that Matthew ten thirty one passage, he who confesses me before men, I'll, conf- I, I'll confess before my Father in heaven. He who denies me before men, I'll deny before my Father in heaven. I, I, I take everything pretty literal, and I, I did at that time. I'd been studying Bible since I was five years old, you know, reading the Bible and studying it, my mom teaching and going to Bear Valley and do it. Just everything was about God's Word, and, and my mom loved the Bible. You know, she we would read and... And uh, the, the elders of Bear Valley got me a King James Bible, so that was my first Bible. So I, I memorized a lot in King James, and so that's kind of stuck with me, you know. And then at, at Bear Valley, said, you need to do it later on, New American Standards. And then I, st- I switched over to that. And then when I went to college, Oklahoma Christian for Bible, uh, Dr. Jones made us uh, study out of the Revised Standard. And his is the only class I never really, I made some A's, but because of the memory verse, the Revised Standard is not a very good translation. Uh, New American in our, our, uh, and uh, and uh, King James is way better because that's what I memorized. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you already had upstairs. <laughs> and he that's would what, do a sample yeah. test and a big portion of it was memory. Uh-huh. And I said, but but Dr. Jones, I got the New American. I got I got King James, but this <laughs> RSV, I'm never going to get the phraseology. No, it's RSV, Marty. <laughs> anyway, but uh, back to that. Uh, so I've been studying, you know, and I knew right away to start sharing with people. And it was hard at first. I'd take my Bible in my backpack, you know, in my duffel bag, and at, at uh, study hall I would break it out in high school and wondering if anybody's going to, you know, but I remember I got to tell people about the Lord, you know. So so I did a lot of that out of fear too, you know. I, I, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to the other place. So I don't think about the other place so much anymore because, see, when you think about it, the closer you get to something, the more you think about that. And hell is a backdrop, and you see it in the Bible, but it's not really the emphasis. The emphasis is where Jesus is. Mm. It's about Jesus. And the closer you get to it, that's why I have a, uh, a YouTube channel called See You on the Mountain, punch beekeeping in, because I mainly talk <laughs> about beekeeping on there, but I talk about the Shameless. Lord and the mountain. Yeah, See You on the Mountain, S-E-E, You on the Mountain, and uh, and punch beekeep, beekeeping in because a lot of uh, See You on the Mountain songs come up. Um, but also, but the mountain is Hebrews 12. It's not Mount Sinai. It's Mount, it's Mount Zion. And so when I tell people that, they think, oh, he's from the Rocky Mountains. No, no, no. I want to see you in heaven. So that's what the channel's about. Yeah, and it's moved from a place of fear to a place of hope and love. Amen. Yeah. Every day, more and more and more. It's, it is awesome. Yeah. Um, so a key component to my growth in Christ is, you know, having that great environment. Uh, I was raised by a stepdad, and I love him dearly, and, and we've gone through the path of forgiveness because there's a lot of things that happen. And he was treated kind of badly as a, as a child, and he brought that into the marriage. And um, uh, we had—he was—I I didn't realize this at the time, but God makes people different. And I'm an extrovert extreme too much so and I, i'm trying to tone that down a little bit you know you have tigger and winning the poo and i gotta i'm trying to learn to be more like winning the poo he stays around the honey quite a bit have you noticed that yeah <laughs> so, but, but but i've got the tigger in me and then i certainly don't want to be eeyore but then you have extroverts you know like uh, and they um uh and and my stepdad was an extrovert he liked his Quiet time. He he don't like being a lot, around a lot of people. My mom was like me, introvert. He was an introvert. Uh, introvert excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Excuse me. I, introvert. Extrovert. You know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but uh, and, and so we didn't. 
we didn't really click a lot, you know, and, and uh, we didn't understand each other a lot, and it was it was really difficult. Um, but at 14, about a year after I became a Christian, I, I, I came across Philippians, and that's been my my favorite letter. I love all the Bible, don't get me wrong. People say, well, you shouldn't just love one part of it. Well, I just, it connects for me, okay? All of it does, but Philippians is like my letter um, that, that really touched my heart and helped me to really get my my worldview, my philosophy of ministry and everything together. And so I had one of those moments, uh, you know, I kind of used to walk on eggshells around him. And, I, you know, I said, you know, this is kind of destroying my peace and joy. And I, did, I, I prayed about it. I said, you know what? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It took me many years to figure that out. But I decided right then, no one is going to ever steal my joy in Christ. I will not let anyone steal my joy in Christ. And from that point on, my Christian walk radically changed. I didn't realize till about five years ago, there was a guy that wrote a commentary on Philippians, because I'm like, Tigger, happy, happy. Oh, everything's great in Philippians. It's a love letter to the Philippians. And it, I, it didn't dawn on me. There was a guy that was in a mental institution. He'd gone crazy. He was a preacher, went crazy, you know. And uh, he was in there. My wife said, you got to read this book. This guy, you know, my wife's more introverted, so she balances me out you got to read this book. You know, this guy, he has it right. I'm like, I started reading, and it was depressing. I'm thinking, this guy, this is wrong. This guy's got it all wrong. You know, uh, but I was having a hard time. It, it kind of, I was so prideful. I thought I could always be joyful, and you can't. You're going to go through some valleys. And this guy taught me a couple things. He said, in chapter 3, we never arrive perfectly until we go to heaven. So we're going to struggle with all sin you're going to struggle, you know, pressed to the prize, but you're still going to struggle this side of heaven. You're never going to have perfect joy until you go to the place of perfect joy, right? So that really hit me too. And then I also found in chapter 3, Paul said that there are, there are dogs, evil workers of the circumcision, right before chapter 4. <laughs> and then in chapter 4, he had two sisters fighting. Now, he said their names were in the book of life, and right after conflict. So you have the, the dogs and the evil workers in chapter 3. Then you have in chapter 4, two sisters, Yodi and Sitzka, they're, they're fighting. But he said their names are in the book of life. He never took sides on that, but he told the church to, to help them get along. That's right right before Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I never saw that for years. I always see the good stuff. You know? Yeah, even in the midst the of the but valley, you, you got yeah. to find the good. Yeah, and, and some of my buddies, a lot of my preacher buddy, uh, friends, you know, it, it's hard being a preacher. It really is. I mean, there's emotional here, and it's easy to stay down and never get up. And I'm always kind of on the up because I don't want to go down. <laughs> so I'm always like, and when I start thinking that, yeah, I, I go back up. And, uh, and my family has problems with that, my, my biological family. And here's something that God did for me at a very young age. I didn't do it. It was him. Because before I became a Christian, when I was very young, I used to get thrown out of school and throw spit wads at teachers and be in the principal's office. And and I also cussed, you know, uh, at a very young age because of the rough background. Not my parents so much, but the rough background, um, kind of bullying kids and just going through a ton of turmoil because of the divorce of my parents. I'm pretty sure that that's it. But I also chose to do that too, right? Um, so the parents thought... I found this out later that this kid right here, he's going to be in drugs and alcohol. Look at his past. His, you know, my, my biological father was an alcoholic, and he died when I was 16 um, because of the alcohol, I believe. You know, there's different stories to it. But he lost his family. 
you know, he lost us. He lost contact. I didn't see him from the time I was two to the time I was 11. Um, and he was a great guy when he was sober. I mean, he was just one of the greatest athletes to ever come out of the town of Raton. His name was Golden, you know, because he was a great boxer and had a great career ahead of him, but he had a problem with alcohol. Um, and so the folks were thinking, he's going to be like his, his biological dad, or, you know, we're going to have problems with this kid, probably jail, probably drugs, probably alcohol, the whole nine yards. Uh, but God saved me when I was 13 years old. And the Holy Spirit says in Acts 2.38, let each you repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. God saved me. And God took all of that stuff. I had to work on the, on the speech, overcoming the speech. And then um, my... I was baptized when I was in sixth grade. I got put back. My teacher liked me so much, they kept me back another year in kindergarten. <laughs> I went back to be the te- teacher's helper, you know. So That's um, what they told you? Yeah, that's what they told me. And when I got to second grade, I remember seeing the register, the, the heater there, and I said, I've arrived. I made it finally first grade. No, first grade when I got out of kindergarten. First, I thought, man, that's it. I took me two years to get here. I'm so, I made it. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, but... Um, but it was sixth grade. I became a Christian, and I said, "You know, I got to really work on the language, and I got to quit getting into fights all the time." It took a while on that, but um, and I started need to start respecting my teachers. And uh, in two years later, eighth grade, I got straight A's, and I was shocked. In fact, I went back after I got the grades, and I ran back to every teacher. I said, "Are you sure this is right?" Because <laughs> If it's not, my parents are going to think I cheated somehow, and they're going to they're whip me, you know, they're going to spank me. They're not going to believe this. And I verified with every single teacher, made sure they didn't make a mistake. And I went home, and the parents, they looked at my stepdad and my mom. You know, really? We're so proud of you, son. You know, and then from that point on, I mean, God just, he, he's amazing. Alcohol, drugs have never appealed to me. I've been around it. I walked through a to a junior high with people always smoking marijuana and stuff. It just, God took that away from me, all of that. And in and, and the grades and studying and being good, I found that that was a really awesome thing to do. And from that point on, I mean, it's just, I can't, I can't take credit, guys. I mean, I give all the glory and praise to him, but he is so awesome what he can do to people. And you guys know that too. Yeah. I mean, when you and turn your life over to God, it's like... That submission. I was, yeah, I was so it. fortunate yep. to do it at such a young age. You know, I just... I can't thank him enough. And then he's taken me places. Like I said, I never dreamed I could go with the Christian walk. You know, not that it's, I'm perfect. I got a long ways to go yet, but, uh, but there's just so much heartache he's, he got rid of for me. And uh, I'm just ever grateful for him for that. So anyway. Where'd you go from high school? Um, I wanted to go to uh, Bear Valley. Um, well, I, I really what I wanted to do, I used to work in my uncle's gun shop in Wyoming. So I wanted to be a um, what do they call them? Uh, mountain man, oh, yeah. gunsmith, uh-huh. hermit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the extrovert that wants to be a hermit. I don't know what I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm, like, no, no, I'm like, I'm going to be a mountain man, hermit, gunsmith, preacher. And I'm yeah. like, how am I going to do all this? You know, you have a bunch of like balls all over the place with faces on it talking. <laughs> yeah, to them. That's right. You know, I'm like, I'll do that. No, I'll do that. You know, but uh, uh, so I kind of wanted to go to Bear Valley, but at the time they told me. Um, no, we only take like Victorians, you know, straight out of high school at that time, I think is what their deal was. They wanted to get guys that had been out for a while, came back and were really serious, you know. And uh, 
So I, I knew that maybe that wasn't going to happen, even though I took accelerated courses by accident in high school because I just liked all the good teachers. And um, so uh, then, I, then I got engaged to Allie, my wife. Uh, we were, eight, uh, I think we were 17. We got engaged to get married. We were going to get married June uh, of, uh, what, 85, June of 85. Um, How'd you so meet her? On the bus. When I was five years old, I get on the bus and she'd see me and she'd run to the back of the bus. She's scared of me, you know? And uh, so, and so we knew each other all, all throughout and I never, she wasn't on my radar or anything. Now in junior high, she lived across the, uh, she lived right across the street from where we used to do sports and stuff at our junior high. And every once in a while I'd see her, she always taking care of her little kids. Her mom had a daycare and I would wave to her, you know, but that's kind of, then I was kind of like, Oh, you know, she's kind of pretty, you know, and I kind of <laughs> took note, but I just never dreamed, you know? Uh, so her dad went to school. He he was an entomologist, and uh, he kind of said, no, I, need, I want to go be a preacher. So uh, when she was in high school, we went to junior high together and stuff, and and just kind of never on the radar, except there was time I got in trouble, and she came in to get the food for the bad kids, you know, and I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be a Christian. <laughs> and she waves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's like, hi, Marty, how are you doing? I'm going to get your food, you know. What do you want for lunch? And I was like. Oh man, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm I'm busted, you know. <laughs> so I thought there's no way she'd ever like me. So uh, when when they went they went away to Utah, and we went on a mission trip with Don Canner. We went on a mission trip over there, and that was it. I went over there and I was like, "Wow, Aletha Potter," you know. So <laughs> and uh, and so it, we just it just started. I mean, and I didn't want it to happen because she's in Utah. And I'm in Denver. I'm like, I would look over the mountains, you know, toward Utah every day in 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 school. I'd just look out at Kennedy High School. is kind of a tall built building. From the third floor, I'd look over and say, "She's just over there." You know? <laughs> and so that kept me out of a lot of trouble too. So, and I was really only in high school to 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 play sports. I love sports, football and wrestling. And I wanted to be a, a, a basketball player. That's what I really like. But I lived next door to the wrestling coach and he would look at me and say, you're not going to play basketball. You're going to wrestle. So uh, coach Kanab was very charismatic. So I wrestled. Um, but I got, I had enough credits to graduate early. She was a year ahead of me. Remember I so good at kindergarten. They let me go twice. <laughs> so I'm a year ahead of all my friends. And uh, we were dating, and we were going to get married in June when I graduated, and she was at Oklahoma Christian. So she leaves. So we, we start dating for two years when we're 16, this long-distance thing. And then uh, uh, she goes, her parents said, oh, you're going to go to Christian college. That's just what they do. Well, which one are you can go to? We don't know. Just pick one. So they, they got a ticket center to Oklahoma Christian, never saw it. Never, no one ever been there. And I'm, like, brokenhearted. She's leaving from Utah going west, going way over there, some weird place I never heard of, <laughs> Oklahoma. And so I started making treks to Oklahoma right away. Red dirt, red soil, uh, ugly water. I mean, the water. It's terrible. And they jump in the water and they, you know, chase them yeah, big old. Noodle. Uh, no, yeah, noodling, yeah. I'm like, I ain't not getting in the water. There's water moccasins. I'm from Colorado. <laughs> but you're clean, crazy crystal people. clear water up there, you know. Yeah, and then tornadoes yep. and all kinds of stuff. But she was there, so I'm thinking. And then she, we were going to get married. She broke up with me when she went there. All them guys, I'd call every night, you know, and want to talk to her every night on the phone. My, I ran up a $400 phone bill. My parents were like, what's going on? It's an investment. It's worth it. I got the money. Leave me alone. You know, and they're like, I thought, you know, okay. So anyway, make a long story short, she comes back for, for uh, uh, Thanksgiving break, and I talked her into marrying me again. So 
Then I'm, uh, we're, we're, we're doing wrestling practice. We're starting up the second half of the season. A guy falls into my knee on accident, rips it up. I'm done. I can't, I can't do what I'm at high school for, sports. That's all I was there for. <laughs> that and, oh, I like lunch. <laughs> you know, and all the skinny kids, you know, they'd all give me their food. You know, so I love the skinny kids, you know, the finicky skinny kids. So I was there for lunch. And I kind of like study hall and fitness and conditioning, but really lunch and, and sports. Yeah. You know, so I kept my grades up for that. And I was done. But I had enough credits to graduate. So I'm thinking, I call Allie up and say, hey, I can graduate. We can get married. You know, and she's like. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I went and tell the parents. She told her that. They're like, okay. Like, You're not going to say no or nothing? You're not gonna... and, and I told my mom about that later. She said, Marty, when you make your mind up, there's no way we're going to change your mind. You guys loved each other. You're great family. And we knew you guys could handle it. So we got married at 18. So we, we show up in Oklahoma and I get married. You know, I, I graduate like on the 27th, uh, drive out there on the 28th. We get married on the 29th or something like that. And then I get a job the next day. So <laughs> after we're married, <laughs> people are telling you, you can't get work. You know, well, if you're not a cook, you can work you get, anywhere. You can work anywhere. I was just about, you know, <laughs> that's a good skill to have, you know. So uh, everybody eats. Anyway, so yeah, the, yeah, everybody eats and they, a lot of people don't like cook. So there you go. So yeah, and, and uh, that's how we, we got married, you know. And talk about shocking people. You're married, you know, and for a long time, I'd go to work and say, yeah, my girlfriend, this, I thought you were married. Do you have a girlfriend too? (laughs) (laughs) It took a while to settle that in. So yeah, we got married when we were 18 and she was at school and then I wasn't going to go to school. You know, why would I go to school? Uh, I was managing a restaurant and it closed down. So uh, I went and applied. I decided, well, I'm on a Christian campus. I try this college thing. You know, I live here. And uh, so we did. And Got a job with the school cafeteria there, mm-hmm. and, and the uh, the rest of the sister went yep. to Oklahoma Christian. Fond yeah. memories of that yeah. place, and it and it was easy <laughs> there because like the last the, I didn't know you could clap out, you know, because I'm I don't know anything about college, so the first two years were the last two years of my high school, and I was telling Ellie, "Wow, this English is easy." What is this? <laughs> and, and, and later on, we find out another friend came and said, "Oh, I clapped out of two years. You just take this test. If you pass it, I didn't know that." So, and then the last two years, I was a Bible major. It was Bible. I've been studying that since I was a little kid. And I was like, this college thing, I like it, you know. And you only have to go to class every once in a while. And so that's how I was able to work full time. And And there's food. And there's food. And and I had to buy a meal ticket either. You know, I got to take it off my bill because I I, I worked in the cafeteria. And and we lived in the married apartments. And I didn't have to buy it. So I saved money there. I fought with Dr. North for a long time because he wanted me to pay for the spring sing stuff. I'd look on the bill and say, Dr. North, I'd never get to go to Springsteen. Why do I have to pay? This is a liberal arts college, Marty. You're going to have to pay for the whole experience. You know? And I said, I only get to take 12 hours. I'm working full time. Well, you should take 16 because you can pay the same as 12, 16. So, but anyway, I get out of college. I, I got scholarships the last two years. and I get out with like $2,000 in debt. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's not bad. That's you great. Know, yeah, a lot wife, less than what yeah, I had. Yeah, yeah, And it was a little bit cheaper back then, too, but it was still expensive. So anyway, but yeah, that's that's how I got a, quote, Bible degree, you know. So, yeah, and it was a lot of fun. I, I loved Oklahoma Christian. Had a great time there. Loved the people. And uh, I worked with a lot of little churches there, you know, that would let me, any church would let me preach. I was there. Yep. And uh, prison ministry, you know, got to do that. Memorial Road wouldn't let me preach, you know. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> probably talked too long, you know. And um, 
But they, they let me go to the prison, the women's prison. My wife and I would go there, and I got to do Lord's Supper, lead singing. I uh, got to do uh, all the prayers and the preaching, uh, but they wouldn't let me take collection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. So kind of a captive audience. I guess they didn't have a lot of money floating around there. So anyway, so yeah, that's, uh, that's what we did. And then we worked uh, youth ministry with Lindsay, Oklahoma, preached in Ponca, uh, Ponca City, Enid, uh, all around. I even got to preach in Pahuska, Oklahoma. Pioneer woman, Pahuska, Oklahoma. There you go. I was there first. So <laughs> she made it more famous. You yeah. Know, but, yeah. But yeah, Pahuska, Oklahoma, believe it or not. So I got to preach there. It was kind of a family church there. So uh, that's kind of how I started. Yeah. And which one was your first ministry that you got paid full-time? Because you said your um, captive audience did Well, <laughs> that would have been uh, uh, Pleasant Valley here in Colorado. Okay. Because uh, I, I worked uh, at Lindsay. Um, as kind of, I was like an intern and then they wanted to keep me on, but I had too much stuff going on, uh, from Edmond to Lindsay is quite of a drive. And so, um, but that was kind of like my first pay, uh, deal. And then still in school, but when I graduated, I worked with North MacArthur for two years as their youth minister. And then I, I, uh, I worked for UPS at night and then part-time youth ministry, I don't think there's any such thing. So <laughs> it'll consume only you on the paycheck. That's yeah. right. You know, that's, that's what it was. And, and so, uh, but yeah, and, and they paid me well, you know, uh, but I worked at UPS and, and they were, we were trying to grow that ministry. And then I, you know, I, I realized her family's in Indiana, my family's in Colorado. And we were trying to do this whole, that was one of the draws was, um, I, I really like being around family. I love being around family. It's real important. We were away from our family for a long time. When we first got married, we were by ourselves, you know. And the church was our family, which was really nice. I, I, I can never. But Oklahoma people are so sweet. We could have stayed there the rest of our life. But God had a plan. So um, I decided to start. I, t- I told North MacArthur straight away, you know, I'm going to look for a full-time ministry. This is not going to be full-time. Based on our families being apart, we need to move closer to one or the other or at least have time when I'm full-time where I can, you know, go. we can go see family more. And so... Uh, uh, we got hired at Kingfisher, Oklahoma, the same day we got hired at Pleasant Valley in, in Colorado. <laughs> so I uh, went to Kingfisher, and I was uh, Kingfisher would have been a really good deal. They were going to groom me to be their preacher. I'd be like an associate. I could go back to Oklahoma Christian, get my master's, and it actually paid better, you know. But we really prayed a lot, and I asked the folks at Kingfisher, what's the, what's the potential for evangelism here? And they said, well, you know, everybody's pretty well you know, you're either one or that or this, and there's not a lot, you know. And then Dr. Howard Norton always taught us, if you can go to a university town uh, that's a mission field to the world, they come to you, you don't have to go to them. Yeah. So uh, a Pleasant Valley or Bellevue I thought was way off in the stick somewhere. I wasn't even interested. I came and interviewed for the uh, uh, youth ministry job at university. One of the elders got me and interviewed me, and he's like, I don't think this guy. <laughs> I don't know what he's saying. He's like, this guy we don't talks want this guy just, around children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and just like, oh, about him. He's pretty wired up. So, uh, and my mom, always, this is funny. My mom said she'd been praying for me for years to be a preacher. And I, she'd tell me that. And I'd get mad at her. I said, Mom, I can't talk more than five minutes. Why are you saying that? You know? And uh, so, um, so we, we, uh, we, uh, we just said, I told the guy, oh, well, we'll go check it out. But I'm really not a preacher. I'm a youth minister. I don't. I don't know if I can talk long enough to be a preacher. I kind of knew that I could because I did it in, in Oklahoma. And uh, so we went up there, and, man, I realized it wasn't very far out of Fort Collins. It's like 20, 15, 20 minutes from Colorado State University. 
And plus, all the people there like to talk about hunting and fishing. I was like, <laughs> I told Allie, I'm like in heaven. These people like to talk about elk hunting. And that's one draw that I can't, I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> they don't have elk in Oklahoma, not very many, and, and not a lot of trout either. And I love trout fishing and elk hunting and deer hunting. I did a lot out there, but it wasn't, and I love the mountains. When you grow up around the mountains, oh, man, it's just, there's something about it that pulls you back. And out in Oklahoma, we went out there, and there's tornadoes, and the water turns over, and it's hot, and it's all this stuff. And, um, you know, go back to Colorado where, where there's a mission field of the world. There's elk hunting. There's, there's trout fishing. There's churches, like, all kinds of, I'm thinking, man, I think I've, I'm getting really close to heaven over there, Allie. So we prayed about it, and we, of course, chose to come back home. My family's in Denver and uh, to the mountains. Oh, I was going to tell you about Oklahoma. You go out there, and they talk weird. They talk really, right, Alec? They talk really <laughs> weird in them Okies, man. And you have to, but you learn how to talk. I, I learned how to talk Okie real quick because I'd call my mom. And she said, you're talking like one of them Okies. <laughs> well, you got to blend in, Mom, where you at? So I did mission work out there. You know, I was in uh-huh. Oklahoma land. So, um, uh, and another thing is they tell directions, but you don't know where they are because there's no mountains. There's no. And people say, and they talk weird. They go down yonder about three miles, go off to the south, go over. It's, but where's the mountains? There's no mountains. <laughs> What are you talking about? I got lost a lot when I was there, you know. But I got to meet a lot of people. <laughs> Take advantage of it. Give you directions. Getting all the directions, you know. So, so uh, anyway, but got to come back to the, you know, to, to the heavenly land. Uh, and I actually live in the land flowing milk and honey. So, everybody, if you, you got to come visit us, okay? You've been biased and you don't even know it. If you go to Laramie, you're, you're within two, mi- less than a, two miles as a crow flies to the church building. You know, if, if you're on the northwest side of Fort Collins, you, we're right there, right below Horsetooth Reservoir on the north end. But it's literally the land flowing milk and honey because I'm a beekeeper and I have the honey on my side. And we come across the pooter to the west. You got all these bees. And then just over the hill where the church started on um, Graves Dairy, which is now known Noosa Yogurt. If you know what Noosa is, they're right over the hill and they have over 800 milk cows. So literally, the land flowing to milk and honey. That's where I get to preach. So come on over. It's promised. So, yeah, anyway. So but yeah, that's... Uh, how long have you been at Pleasant Valley? I think it seems like just yet, uh, but yesterday. I think I started yesterday. Yesterday? Yeah, it, but May the 2nd, 1993. And I do know the timing on that. 29 years. Wow. So I hope they let me stay one more year, <laughs> at least. <laughs> it's just a day. So when I came, I was thinking, I don't know if I could do the preaching. And I prayed the whole way here. I said, Lord, if you just get me back, and and if they if they fire me, then I'll be close to home. I'll find a job. You know, I'll I'll, I'll do something. You know, I'll be a gunsmith or whatever. You know, Go mountain man, mountain man, hermit. You know, and I'll <laughs> preach from the mountain. So um, just just get me there, Lord, and then we'll. It, so it's been a one day at a time deal. Mm-hmm. That's all it is, really. And if the Lord wants me to go somewhere else, we're ready to go somewhere else. If he wants me to stay, we'll stay. And I've, the, way, the reason I've stayed is there's always more to do to the work. I mean, it's all, it, you know, you get involved in people's lives and you see the growth. And then you see, when you're in a place, you have all these warm contacts. I mean, you don't even have to knock doors anymore. I mean, people just come to you. And they put us on this road. I wish you could have been there, but it's a road to the mouth of a canyon on the northwest side of Fort Collins. And it's, I call it the Bellevue Highway, and I like it. A lot of people don't because they go by our building all the time. And I'm always out in front, usually around at the building, and I'm always waving. You know, In New Mexico, I was a sheep herder for uh, summer, and oh, man, that was tough. But everybody in New Mexico, in Ocote, New Mexico, when you, in that little village, everybody waved. 
And I, when I came to Pleasant Valley, I said, I want everybody to wave like they in New Mexico. I want everybody to know that, hey, we, we love you. This is, we're friendly here. And, and so it's kind of caught on with a lot of the folks, except the new folks come in and they look at you. <laughs> that guy's weird. You know? You know, why is he waving? You know, and everybody knows me. I've been there. Oh, you're the guy that waves at everybody, right? Yeah. And I introduced myself. So, yeah, so we're on that. Uh, way uh, up up to the canyons, you know, where we just uh, love the folks. Hey, and you're uh, not you're not wearing your beekeeper suit while you're waving, are you? No, I don't <laughs> need to. My bees love me; they don't sting. Oh, are you yeah, I train them really well. I bra- I branded them all. I taught them lessons, and uh, they're the best bees in the world. Landflow and milk and honey—they're not gonna be stinging you there. Uh, so, no. <laughs> Sometimes I am, but uh, uh, my wife made me when I first started, because um, I'm you know a preacher. Okay. Uh, I used to think I was the bee whisperer, and a lot of people think they are. You know, there's this lady on, on oh, did you see the lady that doesn't? Yeah, but that's only the time you didn't see her get stung, you know, because <laughs> there's times when you can work bees, kind of like people they're, when they're more angry and not. But you you can, you can know, like a lot of times I'll just put a veil on, and I'll wear this and go work the bees. You know, sometimes I wear gloves, sometimes I don't, depending on the mood of the bees. <laughs> you got to read the bees, right? Um but uh, one time when I was first beekeeping, I'd take my veil off and I'd go and, oh, look at my bees. They're so good. And I got stung right here and I got two big old, looked like I'd been in a fight. And my wife said, you're going to quit this beekeeping. You do that one more time. That's over for you. You look like you've been brawling. You're going to be up there preaching to people and it looks like you've been fighting with folks. It's like, you know, I think you're right. She's very smart. So I, I always wear a veil at least, you know. Yeah. Um, you got to, so. you got to. Protect the money keep money maker. Yeah, the, yeah, the bees, <laughs> the bees. Yeah, I don't want them. She if she stings you, she dies. See, yeah, they actually make liquid gold, guys. Yeah. So you know, it's it's an amazing deal. So bees are just, and they've drawn. So we did the, not to down this publication. We had a publication. I won't name it because I like it, and I don't want to say it's it's not good because it's good. But we did this publication. We sent out to the whole area, you know, through the postal codes. We hit like four or five codes around us for three years and i'd get the atheist people mad at me they call me up get this thing out don't even let it touch my box we don't want it in our box that this beautiful publication okay okay we'll try i said it's gonna take two or three weeks before they can get it out of the system you know and um i worked for the post office 23 and a half years while i preached too by the way i, I trucked for him all my days off but I'll, that's another story but anyway <laughs> so through the bees though and we did that for three years, and I got complaints and complaints. And one lady liked it, and we made sure that she got it, you know, and didn't hear a thing. No one came through the doors, nothing through that outreach. And, and we paid. It wasn't real expensive, but, you know, we always want to use God's money the best. But I, I ran one little ad on the Nextdoor app. Nextdoor, have you seen that app? That's a cool app. It's Nextdoor, uh, whatever your town is or whatever your neighborhood is. Mine was Nextdoor Bellevue, and it hit the northwest part of Fort Collins and stuff. I said, I got a great uh, deal for you. You can rent bees for $250 um, a season, and they'll, they'll, uh, pollinate your, your, uh, they'll pollinate your garden, your trees, or whatever. And, I'll, and, and when I'm there, I'll teach you bee lessons. You know? And so I ran that, and I got a, a fair amount of people, too much where I couldn't do it all. I said, I got to stop because I can't be going to everybody's neighborhood. I, I got another job, too. <laughs> well, I kind of combine them as I go. Um, so we do the mission work as we go. So the bees help me. They're one of my best baits. I have this whole seminar on always fishing. You guys have touched on some of that. And you're, you're always fishing. You're always looking, you know. And so that's I call bees one of my baits. Hunting is one of my baits. That's 
one of my favorites too, because you get to have fun while you're doing it. And then fishing's another one of my baits. I catch people while I'm fishing. If you could imagine, hey, what are you catching that on? You know, and some of my buddies are like, you talking too much, Marty, and they go away from me. But I'm I'm really fishing for men while I'm fishing for fish. <laughs> yeah. And and I and I've I've been able to catch some people that way. I'll have to you have to take my seminar. Or 1995, and, and I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cut him so, off. <laughs> That's enough. What's the other plug? You know, I'll tell you my other business. No, um, no, uh, we. Uh, so we're always fishing, and I lost my train of thought now. What about the bees. Talking? But the bees. Yeah. Oh yeah, the bees. People love hearing about bees. And then on my channel, we talk about the Lord too. And one of my supporters says, "You know, you're getting a little preachy on there." And I said, "Well, how many bee channels are there on YouTube?" Oh, there's a whole bunch. I said, yeah, if they don't like my channel, they can change it. But I'm going to talk about Jesus. And I'm going to talk about heaven. And I'm going to talk about the mountain. I'm going to talk about how God made these bees so incredible. The first time I went to see bees with a member, because the hives are a little bit heavy. So, you know, you always want to stay in fit, guys. You always got to stay in uh, spiritually, socially, physically, and financially fit. Every area. So I go out here and help them with these bees. And the first time I got into the hives, I was in awe. There is nothing like it in all of life. It's like you enter another world. You're having all these things flying around you and they're not stinging you. And you're looking at the design of the comb and then they give you honey. I mean, I'm hooked, you know, and I was just, I just couldn't hardly breathe. I was in so much awe of God. And that's what the bees do. And that's what all of God's creation does. The mountains and the hunting and the fishing and all that. you step back and that's the blessing. That's how we possess the land because we give glory to God in all of these things. And so the bees have brought so many people to me, you know, groups and stuff and friends I've made and uh, people have become Christians, you know, as you share the story and, and, you, and you love them and you, and you love the bees. And it's love that compels people. You know, we don't have to win arguments. We don't have to persuade anyone. We just keep loving them. And they say, why are you, why are you so good? You know, I always ask God, why do you make this honey so sweet? Why do you make it such a beautiful thing to work the land, you know, God put us in the land to work the land. And the bees bring in so much value to sharing the gospel with people and talking about the creator. The, I call it the general revelation of God. And it's all, it's all around us, the moon, the stars, the sun, yeah. all the it's creation. Invisible Romans one eighteen yeah. and following you. There's no excuse. No excuse. And that's another thing about ministry and trust to faithful men who entrust others also. I think sometimes we say, well, we have to tell, do everyone. God's been working on them from the time before they were born to go to heaven. We get to enter in. I can't tell everyone that I've ever met about Jesus. Now, I, I want to have the attitude, and, and I'm always ready, First Peter 3, 15, to give an account of the hope within me, yet with gentleness and reverence, with God's love, see? And as they ask, because they're going to ask us, because we're weird people. I mean, when we're really nice, we don't return evil for evil, insult for insult. This guy's weird. What, what is up with him? Don't you know you should pound that guy? You know, what's going on there? No, we're different. Now, there comes a point, like someone's hurt my wife, they're going to get pounded, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it's going to be, but uh, I'll protect my wife. But, but we're different, and the way we look at the world's different, and we give God the glory in everything. You know, we think, well, how do I train my kids up? We just say, uh, Johnny, Susie, look, Carl, look, look, at, look what God's doing. Look at the moon. Look at, this, look at the bees. Look at the grass. I have a, a Joel Salatin. He's one of my favorite farmers. I love the soil and the farming, too, by the way. Um, I don't even want to hear about golf because I'll get hooked on that too. But uh, <laughs> so on the farming, Joe Salatin, this guy's awesome, is on YouTube. He's a believer. But he says when he sees grass, the grass of the fields, that he's a grass farmer, 
And he feeds all his animals. He says, I see God's grace. I mean, there's so much in our life we'll stop and look at. And we see God's grace all around us. The glory of God. Wow. For Amen. me, it's <laughs> that morning. Yeah. Like the dew's coming up. It's still a little bit chilly out. You're stepping into that crystal clear river, right? I don't even have to, you know, unwind my line to fish. Just stepping in that water. And I don't wear waders. I just feel that cold water and mm. that smell, that freshness, the mountains and here. And it just, how can you deny that? You can't. Yeah. yeah you lose out so much if you deny that. You deny God. It's, it's so profound. Um, it is, it's just amazing, guys. So, you know, our work is mostly done for us. We just got to be faithful and show up. We're always looking at numbers. Oh, if we had more money, if we had more people, we had all. Uh, I've been, like I told you, I've, I've been with congregations uh, when I was at North, uh, when I was at Memorial Road. At that time, it was called College. When I was there, they changed the name to Memorial Road. They had 1,600 people. We do a fundraiser for missions and getting thousands upon thousands of dollars, lots of people. But then I worked with the small church, and the problem with the small church is they look out and they say, oh, we don't have money, and we don't have people. And and part of when I teach, encourage the small church, I like to encourage them. I realize, yeah, but when you realize you don't have all of that, who, what do you have? It's always looking at minimums instead of maximums. We all have God, and if we have Him, we have everything. I mean, we have money we don't see. You know, Pleasant Valley, there's been times, you know, we were able to do some amazing things uh, when we just put our, got unity and prayed, and the money just almost like, I don't know where it came from. Well, I do know where it came, it came from him, <laughs> but if you computed it out logically, and, uh, and so when I tell people, once we get our mind made up on something, um, God will open the doors if it's something of his. And it's amazing what will happen. Like, I, w- I wasn't kidding with Michael when I said, is that all? You know, if we, if we need something, I don't care how much it costs. And God wants, he owns cattle on a thousand hills. How much is one cow worth? And a thousand hills, a thousand, I'll change it to mountains, okay, because we're in the A thousand <laughs> mountains, okay? And he owns cattle on a thousand. We limit ourselves. Um, Marvin Phillips, I got to hear him speak one time. And I was like, wow. I lo- He smiled and he just beamed. I said, I want to learn how to. I want to learn how to preach like that guy, you know. And uh, I read his book. I only learned one thing, The Joy Factor of Church Growth. I can only remember one thing out of his book, and this is it. He said, we ask God for peanuts. He wants to give us the world. That hit me. I mean, we got to have greater vision. And we got to remember whose we are and whom we serve. And he's our father, and he owns all everything. So I mean, there is no limit to God and what he can do in us, through us, and among us. And the church is, is the bride of his son, and the church is so powerful. So I'm excited about, I, I just, every day I get more excited about the church, love the church more, and love our Savior more, and love the work more. And, and there's always more work to do. And, and uh, man, we call more people, and, and uh, Facebook more people, and text more people. And, and there's always work for us, right, guys? I mean, you wake up in, in, in the firehouse. You know, I, my, a lot of my, I, was, I was a paid chaplain by the United States Post Office. They didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> for 23 and a half years, Northern Colorado, I, I did the drop shipments in the morning on my days off, Monday and Saturday. 
And so people would run to me on the dock and say, Marty, I need prayer. Marty, what about this Bible verse? What about this question? What about that? Marty, you know, always a lot of prayer. People are going through a lot of stuff. And, and I just smile, you know. And, and I did a lot of my sermon prep on Saturday night as I was running out of uh, Bellevue into uh, Wellington. You know, I'd, I'd turn on uh, radio preachers and get ideas from them and start praying. I get on I-25, and this is some of my sermon prep, get me ready for Sunday. For 23 and a half years, I'd look at the mountains, and I would just pray and thank God and say, and I get to go preach tomorrow. I can't wait. I wish it was today, you know, and uh, that's, so the renewal we get as, as, as preachers, my renewal, I, I don't take a lot. We don't really go on vacations. My wife doesn't like to travel. I will go every once in a while somewhere, but not very far. My vacation, my time is to do stuff like that. And also when I need a break, I'll go back to my other office, my B office, literally in the apri. And I have a B bench that the brethren, somebody bought for me a long time ago. I thought someone threw a, I came around, this is how good God is. I go up and open the building up every morning, make sure it's all good, turn the heat on, do whatever. I come walking around the corner, I said, oh no, someone, it's around my birthday time. Someone threw a sofa in the front of the church yard. <laughs> oh no, what am I going to do? I'm going to get this out of here before everybody shows up. And I look closer and I said, whoa, that's not a sofa. That looks pretty cool. What is that? And I keep looking and it's this beautiful black and yellow, custom-painted bench. I call it my B-bench. And it had, it had a, a note on it that says, Happy Birthday, B-Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's how God is for us, man. I mean, think about it. I've been praying for a, for a uh, uh, four-wheeler. Well, also have fun, but to pull my bees around in with a blade so I could blade the church yard off and everything. And I'd been praying for it for a while, and I kind of forgot about it. And one brother, two Sundays ago, comes out, Hey, Marty, I got you a bobcat. I was like, and Wayne's a big-time hunter and stuff. I'm like, oh, man, what am I going to do with a wild bobcat? <laughs> Why does he give me a bobcat? You know, people give me all kinds of stuff, but a bobcat. I said, maybe it's a pelt. I said, you mean like a bobcat pelt, Wayne? He goes, no, no, a bobcat. And, I, and it dawned on me, a skid steer bobcat? <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, here I'm asking for a four. God said, no, I'm going to get you a bobcat. But I forgot I asked him several years ago, if you ever run across one that maybe a guy could afford, you know, because those things are expensive. And, and this one was affordable, believe it or not. So God got me a bobcat. You know, <laughs> So that, that, that's really cool. I could palletize the bees. I do, I, I do uh, wood. I give away wood and I sell wood. And, uh, and I could do a lot of stuff, move, move lots of manure, you know, around my garden beds and stuff. So I've been having fun with the bobcat. <laughs> Lord gave it to me. So isn't that how cool God is, though? That's how he is, guys. You know, and, and I'm just so excited about it. And uh, the doors, are, there's so many doors open to us. We just got to ask God for wisdom on what, what do you, where do you want me to prioritize today? I want to give one thing to you. So um, uh, the, one of my keystone scriptures that I've really focused on the last 15, 20 years, uh, Matthew 22, 36 and following, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I'll add in another gospel with all your strength. And what I think what that means with every fiber of your being, every moment of your day, let God rule, take every thought captive. Let, this is his. He'll put enthusiasm, the Holy Spirit, into you. He'll give you strength immeasurable, innumerable, and peace insurpassable, and joy inexpressible. That's what God does. And so uh, I, I'm, I, 
I have a hard time writing because I don't like sitting down too long. So I've been talking, and maybe I can get the thing to write for me. But um, or get a scribe like Paul had, <laughs> Timothy. Scribe this down, Timothy. Hurry up, you know. So I listen to these podcasts that you know I've learned how to get in much a lot of information in really quick. That's why I talk so fast. So anyway, um, uh, and I want to get a lot of information to you. But um, so if you think about man, love God first. So the spiritual first, and we've got to take care of the spiritual. We are entrusted to put that as priority. That's why we have first day of the week. There's no coincidence in that. We worship God on the first day of the week with the church. I think, you know, you think about these things, it's kind of, oh, that makes sense. We're supposed to give everything, the first to God. Secondly, the social. And Jesus had a congregation, about 120. And then if you look at it, he discipled 12. One of them fell away and betrayed him, two, by the way. You know, we think, and that was the perfect teacher and person to ever walk. He had one that fell away. And then you look at the 12, and what was the next out of the 12? If you broke it down one more time, who would be the next ones? Of Peter, the 12, James, and John. Peter, yeah. James, and Don. They went to pray with him. They fell asleep, let him down. And, um, and then of the three, who do you think was the closest from all the Scripture? John. John. And they seem to think he was uh, like a teenager in Jesus's, you know, his thirties, and so kind of like a big brother figure. And guess who? Who guess who gets to live the longest? John. John. And you know, I got a theory about that because he learned to love the most. Now, and also God wanted him to live long, right? And I'm not saying the other ones didn't love more, but he's the one noted for love, right, through the whole thing. But um, so, so, so you the social aspect. We got to really be careful in the social. Who we, you know, First uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty three. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. Evil communications. The King James says corrupts good morals. They kind of go together. A bad companion has bad com- communications. He's not only talking about cuss words, but what kind of language do we use? What kind of language do we use in the church? Are we using the inspiring words of God, the ones that are wonderful and magnificent? My wife told me. She said, Marty, you need to not write articles for the bulletin anymore. And I'm, she, she corrects everything. She's my grammar person. And she said, and I said, why? Because you use the word wonderful. Everything's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to learn to, you know, tone it down a little bit. Not everything's wonderful. She's trying to balance me out, you know. But then there's all these other marvelous, wonderful, fantastic, beautiful, awesome, you know. And uh, we can make up a bunch of words, too, like beautiful, the B-B-E, you know. So, so, I mean, but we need to be on a higher level with our language and, and inspiring and pure and beautiful and stuff. And we work on that. So your social piece is real important. That's part of part of that. And, and so love God first and love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your nearest neighbor if you're married? Spouse. Your wife. That's huge. So you start there. And you got to win yourself, Romans 8. You got to make sure that you're in tune to God. If you're in tune to God and get closer to him, guess who you're going to get closer to? Your spouse. Okay. So in ministry, and, and, and all of us have ministry, if you're married, that spouse needs to have your attention, needs to have your love, your nurturing, your cherishing. She needs, and then you work to your kids, and then to your 12 outside of that. And, and you can't win everyone. But you got to make sure you start where God wants you to start. And that's huge in ministry and in all of the Christian walk for elders and deacons and everything. Church leadership, that's where it starts, in the home. Okay, and then you have the physical, your body. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And he's talking about keep yourself pure uh, uh, sexually. 
but also your body needs to be taken care of. We need to exercise. We need to drink good water. We need to get up. We need to push ourselves, press to the prize. We don't need to be lazy. We need to watch how we dress and how we're presenting ourselves. And, and uh, that's, that's, people are watching. And if you're striving for excellence in that area, you'll get to live longer generally. Not, not always because, you know, God has a plan. Sometimes good people that do that die early. We know that. But as long as I'm doing that, when I exercise, when I eat right, I'm a better servant to my wife. I'm better for my grandkids and kids. I can live and really be alive and not dead, you know. So taking care of the temple of God is a gift. And we need to have more seriousness about that. I really believe that. And I've been fighting it ever since I was a little. I was born a 10-pound-plus baby. So I fought the fat all my life. I'm still fighting it. You know, to the day I die probably, but but I'm gonna fight it. I'm not and you gonna, got honey in your backyard. That's right. And I don't eat much of it, believe it or not, because I can't have a lot of carbs. So you know, I get to eat meat and fat, you know, and some veggies, but every once in a while we'll sneak some honey in, you know. You got it, you got a taste test, right? Yeah. So anyway, make sure it's good honey for the folks. But yeah, you gotta watch that. And then and then also this is where I was really weak financially. Now, I've studied. I was really good. Dave Ramsey, get out of debt and all that kind of stuff. But then you, you got to also pray and ask God to help you to be the best financially for your family, to take care of your family well. It's the quiet life. Take care. First Thessalonians chapter 4, take care of your family and to share with others. And I think sometimes Christians have sold themselves short. Oh, I'm supposed to be poor. I'm a preacher. I, ha- I thought that for many years, and it hurt my family. In fact, one time I got mad about taxes. I ain't going to work any harder. I keep, the Uncle Sam's keeps taking more of money. And then one day I realized, oh, I don't really ever pay my taxes. My father does. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was losing out on 70% and I only got 30, you know. I only had to give away 30. So I'm thinking, 70, 30? I think I'll do better with the 70. I'll give him 30 and I'll be happy. Render under Caesar's with Caesar's and God's with God's. But I'm not going to give Caesar any more than he's supposed to. <laughs> Get a good bookkeeper, you know. So anyway. But no, we got to take care of those things. And, and that will sustain you in ministry. And my, my rest comes when I go and pray and I look at the bees for a half hour and I work some bees and I'm refreshed. And it's hard work. And I was oh, that's hard work with bees. I'll go back to my easy job, you know, the preaching job. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll go cut some wood for a while, run a chainsaw and stuff. I, oh, this is kind of hard. This is hard, fun work. But I want to go to my easy, fun work, preaching. Yeah. But preaching is hard emotionally, guys. Uh, Satan is on the attack for preachers. I mean, he attacks us. And uh, we need a team around us. And we don't need to be lone rangers. I have a, a team of people, other preachers that I work with, other members of the church I work with. I rarely go anywhere alone. And I think it's real important not to go anywhere alone if you can avoid that whatsoever. Jesus, even when he went to pray, took three others with him to pray. And so we need to think of ministry as a team and not by ourselves. And wherever we go, we get a, you guys developed a beautiful team right here, see? And you need each other. And, and develop, and, and really, if the church would get in the idea of developing teams instead of one guy or two people or just the elders, but we develop everybody for their ministry. And I've been working on this, and you guys, I, if anybody out there can tell us how to do this, please. <laughs> we need to learn how to do this. I think we've been the Lone Rangers for too long, thinking we have to do everything by ourselves for too long, and we forget that we have to rely on a team of people. So I have a team that's helped sustain me of people I call. I call Tom Walker once or twice a week. And we pray and we think and we do stuff. So he's really close to me. Uh, but he doesn't know how to hunt. That's the problem. You know, we got to teach him some fishing too. But he does know how to motorcycle. We motorcycle together. So, uh, no, but, but you find these people and you, you pull them around you and your, and your wife and your kids. 
my son is the worship minister. He's a tenor preacher, Carl. My other son-in-law does videos for, I think it's World Bible Study or something. They do little videos teaching kids doctrinal things through animation. Um, my other son-in-law, you already interviewed him. You know, he, got to, he beat me. So anyway, <laughs> but he's doing that. I, I've just been so blessed um, to just live this and every day try to be better and, and uh, repent more and, 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 and seek God out. And we all do ministry different, and we need to appreciate our differences. Some guys are made to be more scholarly. Some guys are, I think we need to get more people in practical ministry and train them up in the church and just send them out. And uh, sometimes we send our best and brightest off, and, 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 we, and they never come back to help the little church. They go to the big churches if they're dynamic in some way, you know. We need the dynamic guys to stay where they are and just grow the church there and duplicate churches like beehives this time of year, what I'm going to be doing is keeping them from splitting. So you can be reactive and wait till they swarm, which I used to do. <laughs> That's dangerous. Yeah. Because then you're climbing trees, you know, shaking bees out of trees, and you can fall out of the tree and die. So, you know, that kind of thing. And there's been a few times. But then I learned as I went along, let's be proactive. So a good beekeeper sees that the, the, the hive is growing. we got to see when the church is growing. Instead of letting the people start fighting, because when they grow too much in a small confinement, they will fight. So this is, okay, bees are smart. God designed this, and he's teaching us, the church, okay, when the leadership gets where these other people want to start leading, let's be proactive and start another hive. So the beekeeper takes some bees away, puts them in another box, and when they don't have a queen, they make a queen. If you have the right uh, one- or two-day-old eggs, or you go get a queen and you put her in there, and then you have two hives. And then you don't have to catch swarms. <laughs> For years, I'd walk back to my bee yard and look up in the trees and always looking around, oh, where, where's it today, you know? And then some bees got really smart, and they went up in the highest trees, and I couldn't get them. And that makes you feel bad. But I said, oh, it's my contribution to the wild bee population. <laughs> that can be expensive. So yep. anyway. Well, Marty, we, uh, we always like to ask that question at the end, but it seems like you've, you've spent some time answering that question already, I'm this sorry. idea of... Uh, how do we how do we keep that zeal? How do we uh, find those faithful men who are able to teach others also? And you went through your the points there. You just went through which was fantastic, and the the comparison there with the beehive and all of that. I mean, it's some great advice. Mm-hmm. But I just want to ask, like, do you have any do you have any closing thoughts? If you had one thing to leave us with to end the episode, like, what was the one thing you wanted to take away that for the for the audience there? What would that be? Wow. Mm. Thank you, guys. That's that's something. But uh, I just want to thank God. I mean, in 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 our Lord and Savior. I mean, they they get all the glory and praise, right? It's all about them. Um, yeah, just um, it goes back to Matthew twenty-two: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second is like unto it: Love your neighbors yourself. You got to have self-love too. You know, take care of yourself to help others. Um, I would sum it up in God's love. You know, that's it. Um, that's what will sustain us. That's what 1 Corinthians 13, thir- uh, 13, 13 says, Now abide faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And that's because it will go on forever. So I'd say grow in love for God more every day. Grow in love for your nearest neighbor every day. And grow in love for yourself. Um, I love myself to want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to the other place. And since I love myself enough for that, I want to make sure my wife goes to heaven, my kids. Now, it's their choice, but I want to live a life that would inspire them. And everyone we touch, whether it be through fishing, hunting, bees, the firehouse, um, 
all the places we go, we're on point everywhere we go. Jesus was on point. You know, didn't miss one beat. He was perfect. And uh, that's what it's all about, God's love. Yeah, and and so. you, if you think about it, you know, faith, it'll eventually be realized. Hope, eventually be realized. But love is eternal. Amen. And so that is the focus. That's great. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This has been very encouraging yeah. and energizing. Likewise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.